Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. Today is the last day of the year, and uh, it's the last day of a season in many ways. And when we get to the end of a season, when the end of a season comes, we have the opportunity to decide what we're taking with us into the new season and what we're leaving behind. And I want to challenge you from the top of this message, from the beginning of this message, to make a decision to leave some things behind in 2023. You don't have to take everything with you into the new year. And the temptation to take worries to take offenses, to take guilt, to take shame into the new year is great. And sometimes it happens without us noticing. It happens unintentionally. There's a psychology behind that. So I want to do a short exercise with you. I want you to think about, or if you have a pen and paper with you, I want you to write down real quick five things that you want to either accomplish or that you want to see happen in the new year. Five things that you want to excel in or accomplish in the new year. Think about it. Five things. Five things. For those of you watching online, you can think about that as well. Five things that you want to excel in or accomplish in 2024. Can you believe we're getting to 2024? When they talk about the 20s, now we have to identify it's the 1920s right if you're looking back because we're in the we're in the new 20s all right got it you have hopefully you have five even if you have three let me let me let me ask you a question now that might be a revelation for some of you how many items on that list are based on things that you didn't do well this past year how many items on that list are based on failures Things that you tried to start and do, things that you didn't do well, or maybe things that are driven by worry or driven by fear. Something you're afraid of, something that you're worrying about, something that that is on your mind, and you have that as a goal now. I got to get this done. I have to accomplish this. Now, how many items on that list are based on things that you are already doing well? Things that you are already excelling in. I would venture to say that for most of us, I know because I did this exercise myself and it was very revelatory. Uh, for most of us, most of the items of that, on that list are based on negative things. Most of the items on the list are based on things that we're not doing so well. And if you take this as a small sample, this simple exercise, it's a small sample of how you live your life. Let me ask you this. How many of your life goals in general would you say are driven by the negative instead of the positive? How many of your desires and goals are driven by your dissatisfaction, driven by your worry, driven by your pain, driven by your rejection, driven by your sadness? I'm not saying that's wrong to look at those things and those experiences and try to bring something constructive out of it. But can you tell where the line of separation is between God turning your mourning into dancing, God turning your sadness into joy, and you being driven by and led by those negative feelings? 
Can you tell where the line is? Are you looking at the new year as an opportunity to overcome? Or are you looking at the new year based on what you're trying to avoid? In other words, are you running toward good or are you just trying to avoid evil? And you might say, J.D., shouldn't we do both? I said, yes, we should do both. But the pursuit of good should always be greater than our fear of evil. Always. We should always pursue good with a greater emphasis than we try to fear or run away from evil. You know, uh, when God rescued the people of Israel from slavery, they went into the desert. And they were in the desert for a few years. And, and they encamped uh, on the base of Mount Sinai. And they were there for about two years, a little bit over two years, in, uh, in the base of Mount Sinai. And there, God gave them the law. God gave them their customs, their practices. It was really the making of a nation from the get-go. And in that place, when once God gave the law and, and, and gave them direction, they, the, the, they, they lift up camp, they pack their bags, their tents, and they moved on to the next location, which was closer to the promised land. God was transforming them, transitioning them from a people that were ruled to a people called to rule. Now, when they got closer to the promised land, Moses sent 12 spies, you might know the story, into the promised land to survey the land. To find out whether the land is good, who's on the land, what's happening in the land that, you, that used to be the land where Abraham lived. And when they went to spy the land, as the story goes, they returned with the mixed review of the land. Most of them gave one star. The land is good. But the people in it are bad. That's what 10 of them said. You know, if, it was a, if it was a Google review, it would have been. They're like, it's not good because the, the giants in it, there are giants in the land. But there was a man named Caleb, one of the spies, who said, we should go up. And we should go up at once. And we should take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. He said it with emphasis. He silenced the people and he said, we should go up and do it. But the others, the others doubled down on their doubt. They doubled down on their report. And they said, listen, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They're greater than we are. They're not only greater, they're greater in size. This land is a land that devours people. It's a terrible land. And they started talking about all these things that, the, that they saw on the land. And then they said, the Nephilim are there. The Nephilim were giants. Everybody was afraid of the Nephilim. They are there. And, and we seemed like grasshoppers to them in our own eyes and in their eyes. We can't go. So the naysayers convinced the people. And the people were afraid. Scripture says that they were so Fearful that it's like their hearts melted. And they began to complain. They began to grumble. It says that they wept all night. Why would God bring us to this place to die? We're in the desert. We've been here for years. 
And then something amazing happened. They said, we should pick a, we sh we should pick a leader to take us back to Egypt. They started, they started making this, this decision that we should all go back to slavery. If you know the story, the reason why Moses went to rescue them is because their groaning and their cry was so loud and so strong that God himself said, I got to do something about this. Now, just a few years later, they're thinking about going back. Do you know what it is like to be enamored with the devil you know? You know what I'm talking about? The devil you know? Some of you have experienced this. You know, you, you were in a toxic relationship. Maybe he didn't value you. Maybe she didn't respect you. The relationship wasn't good. And before it got too serious, before you guys tied the knot or, or the relationship became permanent, you decided to step out of it. You're like, I don't want to be part of this. And so the relationship ended. But then you were single again. No longer dating. And the world out there felt like a desert. And the promised land had challenges in it. And it had giants in it. Functional and healthy relationships seemed too far-fetched. Too difficult to attain. And so you thought, it's the devil I know. Why not go back? You don't have to admit it, but maybe it happened to you. Right? Maybe I should just return to this relationship. Maybe you've seen it happen with loved ones. Why not go back to Egypt? It's the devil you know. Maybe you were living an irresponsible life. Drinking way too much, partying way too much, not taking your studies serious, not taking your work seriously at all. And you got to a point when you, th you thought, God, I, I, I need help. I need to stop this. I, I need my life to take a new turn. I need, a, I need to turn a new leaf. And, 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 and you prayed and you asked the Lord to help you and God showed you the way. God showed you a path to recovery and to freedom. But the promised land had giants in it. And you thought... Man, how am I going to cope with the difficulties and the challenges? And you kept looking back and you thought, man, maybe my life wasn't so bad. I was immature. I didn't really know how to handle it. I'm better now. I can, I can handle it now. Maybe I should go back to some of the practices. What's your Egypt? What is the thing that, that you want to leave, but it doesn't seem to leave you? What is the thing that keeps calling you back? It might be something completely unrelated to what I used as an example, but we all have this tension between God's promise and some kind of Egypt that we wrestle with. Some part of our lives might already be living in the promise. You might be already in the promise in some aspect of your life. Maybe your marriage is great. Maybe having kids is wonderful. But there are other parts of your life you feel like you are in the desert. And boy, you're not just in the desert. You're eating sand for breakfast. At least that's what it feels like. And you're like, God, help. I need help in this area. What do you do? Well, I'll ask you again. Are you running toward good or are you just trying to avoid evil? Do you want God's will? Do you want God's promise? Do you want God's plans? Or are you just running away and walking away from trauma, from pain? 
And I don't say just to minimize what happened to you. I'm not saying just to, to uh, minimize what you have experienced. I'm saying just because running away from something is not a complete plan. Especially when the, 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 the fear is no longer there. It does not give you purpose once you're no longer threatened by your Egypt. You know what I'm talking about? See, it had been years since the people of Israel had left Egypt. The scars were healed. The pain had subsided. It was only a distant memory now. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but this happens to us as well. The present challenges that we face have a way of affecting our view of the past. Have you noticed that? The present challenges have a way of convincing us that what we experienced and what we walked away from, maybe it's not so bad. Many times the agony, the stress of the present has a way of convincing us that the sinful, the dysfunctional, the terrible thing that we walked away from, it's doable. It's not so bad. As the saying goes, distance makes the heart grow fonder. And so we can look back with that feeling of desire and, and, and longing. And the sons of Israel are considering going back to slavery. Going back to being dominated by, by Egypt. Because they're living in harsh circumstances in the desert. And the promised land, the promised land has giants in it. I want to encourage you today to change the mindset of running away. Because what this story teaches us is that those who constantly run away end up where they started. See, if, if, if Israel had followed through on their desire to simply run away, they were going to run away from the desert straight back into Egypt. But that was never God's plan. So as the story continues, the people of Israel complained so much that God decided to destroy them. God told them, Moses, I've had it. I'm going to disinherit them. And I'm going to start again with you, Moses. That's what he said. Moses, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I don't want to deal with these people anymore. I'm going to start with you. I'm done. And then one of the most interesting interac interactions in the Torah happened. To me, it's, it's fantastic. Because Moses intercedes on behalf of the people to God. And Moses says something amazing. He says, Lord, let your power be great. And let your power be so great as you have told us that the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in mercy, abounding in love, that he is forgiving of sin and rebellion. And he does not let the unrighteous, the guilty, unpunished. But in accordance with your love, will you forgive them this time as you have forgiven them since they left Egypt? In other words, God, it's not the first time that they're messing up. These people are broken. Will you please not give up on them? And God said, okay. We see it on the scripture, Numbers chapter 14, verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. 
Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. This is a fantastic scripture. This is a blueprint for you and I. Friends, when the world tries to turn you into a complainer, when the world tries to turn you and convince you that your regrets were not so bad, that Egypt is not so bad, when the world makes you feel tempted to hold on to things that you should let go, I want to encourage you to be like Caleb. To have the spirit of Caleb. To march into the new year, into this new season in the spirit of Caleb. To become someone of whom God says he has a different spirit. She has a different spirit. Oh, that we would have that in our, in, our, in our life, that God may say that about us, that the people of Connect Community are not like the others, that they have a different spirit. That there's a different spirit in them, that while the world complains, while the world fights, that while the world continues to divide, that while the world continues to grow godless and sinful, while the world continues to hate God and hate his work, that it may be said of you and me that we have a different spirit, that we have the spirit of Caleb. And the spirit of Caleb is built of these two qualities, strength and courage. Strength and courage. We see that. Because while the naysayers were doubting in fear, Caleb said, let us go at once. Let's do this thing that God has called us to do. Let's move forward in faith. Let's believe. Let's take ground. Because we can take him. We can conquer the land. What is the land that God has before you? What is the thing, the seed, the vision, the, the, the mission that he has put in your heart? Can you have the spirit of Caleb to say, yes, let's conquer it? Now, one of the most interesting pictures of Caleb's life comes later in the book of Joshua. And it's a longer passage, but I want to read the whole thing to you. And I want you to see it's a bigger depiction of who Caleb is. Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 14, it says, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. Now Moses has died. Joshua takes over. They already are, they've already taken most of the promised land. Okay, this is all, everything already happened. And now uh, this passage tells us the story of what happened to Caleb. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and the Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses. This is Caleb speaking to Joshua. You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. 
So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, this is him talking to Joshua again, as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years. Since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness, in wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Wow! I'm still as strong, still as vigorous, still full of faith. That's the spirit of strength and courage. Now, here's a, here's a side note. For those of you who are interested in this, which I think you are, uh, it, there's, there's a few mentions of, jo of Caleb being the Kenazite. The Kenazite were not Hebrew people. Somehow, many scholars believe that Caleb was not actually a Hebrew. He was adopted into Israel as they, the, his family uh, fle fled Egypt. He was one of the people that joined Israel. I don't know if you know this, but out of the 600,000 people that left Egypt, or men plus women and children, many of them were not actually Israelites. From the beginning, the people of God has been an inclusive people that assimilates, that brings people in. Anybody who wanted to follow, follow the Lord was welcome. And Caleb seems to be, by either marriage or association to Moses, one of the, those people that became not only notorious in the tribe of Judah, because he becomes a leader in the tribe of Judah, but he became the voice that served God wholeheartedly, even though he was not a native Hebrew. This is fascinating to me, because many of us are exiles. Many of you here, you weren't born in this land. Yet God has brought you here to establish your roots and to build your family here, like myself. You know, many of us, maybe your family members, maybe your, your, your uh, parents or grandparents moved to this land. And God has given you promise and, 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 and the ability to, to produce and to prosper here. I see, I see a, tremendous, a tremendous move of God in, in, in the life of Caleb. And I think that it's, it's awesome for us. Now, out of this passage... Close parenthesis. Out of this passage, um, what we learn from Caleb is how to move into, into the new year. Because there's a few things that we can extract from this passage here. And here's how uh, three things that you can learn from this passage on how to move to the, to the new year with strength, strength and courage. Number one, hold on to what God has said about you. For 40, 40 years, from the age of 40, 40 to the age of 45 years, from the age of 40 to the age of, 40, of 85, he said, I remember what God has said. Joshua, you remember what God said about me. So we ought to do the same. Value what God has said about you. 
Honor the Word of God above everything else in your life. The second thing is this. Be moved by your spirit-led convictions. See, when everybody else was saying, we can't take the land, Caleb didn't get convinced by them. They didn't get convinced by the negative voices. And there were more negative voices than positive. Ten of them said no. It was only Caleb and Joshua that said, we can conquer the land. And so in our lives, we ought to do the same. You know, when you move into the new year, what is the conviction that God has given you in your heart? What is the word that he's given you about your business, about your family, about your life, about your mission, about, about your ministry? What has God spoken to you? Let me encourage you to move and make your decisions based on, on how God leads you, not based on the voices around you. And the third thing is this. Maintain a warrior's heart. I love that 40 years later, at 85, he's just as strong. He's just as determined, just as humble, just as faithful, just as trusting. And that, I hope that that may be said of you, that in 5 years, in 10 years, in 15 years, we're just as strong, just as vibrant, just as ready to conquer the land and to move forward. Friends, let's not allow our, heart, let's not allow our hearts to fade. Maybe you started believing in the promises of God in the beginning of this year, hoping for a breakthrough, wanting something from God that you know it's meant to be yours. And now we're at the last day of the year and you're thinking, man, it didn't happen. I really, I, I was hoping, even working hard for it, but it didn't happen. Can you take that faith into the new year? Can you believe that God can do what he promised? Can you keep the faith? Because God is still with you. What he has promised you in due season, he will fulfill. In the meantime, keep fighting. Keep going. Keep your spirit, your warrior spirit. Let's live like the promises of God are real. See, there's a... There's a dismissive approach to life that's very prevalent in our culture today. And if we don't take care of, if we don't watch out for it, if we don't take care of our hearts, we can, we can be consumed by it as well. It's as simple as conversations at the workplace or with family members that can take you down into a place of cynicism. And I truly believe that cynicism is at the root of this fatalistic view of the world today. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh man... Nothing, nothing, is, nothing is what it is. You know, have you met people like that? They have, they have a cynic view of the world. Everything they see, they see through the lenses of cynicism. It's like history, it's not history. It's just the opinion of some people who wrote it down. No, marriage is not marriage. It's, it's, it's just a living arrangement. That's what it, all it is. You know, money, it's not money. It's just printed paper. You know, it's just... It's not the church of Jesus Christ. It's organized religion. It's not faith. It's just wishful thinking. It's not, you know, it's not the new year. It's just another day on a man-made calendar. It's just Monday. It's not the new year. I'm, when I hear people like that, I'm like, geez, you must be fun at parties. <laughs> ah, it's not good. Let's leave cynicism and disbelief behind in 2023. Let's take strength and courage into the new year. And here's my challenge to you, getting practical now as, as we close. I want to encourage you to build your goals 
Going back to our goals as we started in the, in the message. Build your goals from a place of strength and courage, not of fear and worry. Here's what I mean by that. Three areas of our lives that a lot of people pay attention to. Health and fitness, money, and relationships. Right? So let's just go through them real quickly. A lot of people make health and fitness goals at this time. So maybe <clears throat> if you're like myself and you had a bountiful Thanksgiving and Christmas, you feel like, man, I want to start the new year and make some better decisions, you know? Maybe there are some suits that I wanted to button up again. And, you know, this, is, this one fit today, but another one that I tried didn't, so. So you might be thinking, man, I put some weight, it bothers me. I got I to gotta, I gotta lose it. And that's what we th tend to think. Right? You tend to think the negative. Okay, I got to lose 20 pounds. I got to lose 20 pounds. All right, I got to lose 30 pounds, 40 pounds, or whatever it is. So no more kicking cookies. No more kicking cookies. No more kicking cookies. No more kicking cookies. That's your list. No more kicking cookies. Here's the problem. We're not negative people. We're positive people. So you're going to scratch the negative, the no more. And all you're going to think about next month is kicking cookies. Because <laughs> you're going to say no more thinking. Okay, enough of no more. Just you keep the kicking cookies. <laughs> Because that's what, you, that's what you're focusing on, right? Instead of building a list like that that's focused on the negative, let me encourage you to build goals that are from a point of strength. What, what can you do? What are you good at? What's the vision that God has given you for your health? Can you see it? Can you picture it? It might be that for you, you need to get to the point where you can do 20 unbroken push-ups. It's a different way of thinking about it. On ability. On strength. It might be able that some of you, it might be, I want to be able to run one mile nonstop without my knees bucking. <laughs> I want to be able to do three unbroken pull-ups. I'm getting very practical with you. But start thinking about from a point of strength of things that you can do. I need to eat more protein. I need to replace my snacks with fruits and nuts things that are healthy. We're starting at 21 days of fast. I encourage you to join us next Sunday we're starting. In, in fact, we're going to have a website ready for you with some guidance, uh, connectcommunity.org slash 21 days. And uh, we're going to update it for this year, this week. And so be on the lookout on your email. And there are some ideas on, on how to do a fast there. Some of you are going to do partial fast. Some of you are going to do uh, a, a intermittent fast. Some of you are going to do the Daniel fast. Whatever fast you choose, uh, make sure it's focused on what you, on strength, on what you're building. And by the way, from, from a theological standpoint, I see no issue with you fasting, having the secondary reason for your fast to be a healthy, have a healthier body. Of course, the primary reason for a fast is always to connect to God right? To disconnect from the world. It's a spiritual reason. But if the secondary reason for your fast is health in your body, that's also aids in your relationship with God because it means you're going to be healthier. You're going to live longer. You're going to sleep better. You're going to live better. You're going to be in a better mood. It helps your marriage, helps your life. It helps your prayer life. So don't feel bad, you know, if you feel like, man, I'm going to fast, but I'm also going to fast for my, 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 my health and my body. It's okay. How about your finances? Maybe you're trying to run down from, from, from debt. Let me encourage you. Instead of focusing on running away from debt, focus on prosperity. And we're going to talk a little bit about prosperity next month, the true meaning of the word prosperity. It's one of those words that when you say it in church, people cringe, right? 
And I'm not going to get into it right now, but there's a reason why people cringe, because it's been misused. And, and some bad actors have taken that word hostage. And, and, but the word prosperity is all over the scripture. And it means that God wants you to have what you need so that you, so that you can accomplish his will. So if you believe that God wants you to prosper, it's important for us to be willing to obey God with what he says about our finances. You can't say that you trust God with your finances and you don't do what the word of God says, right? So it's important for us to do what, it's, what, what the scripture says, which is to honor God with our finances. So here's a simple, a simple uh, strategy for you. Instead of saying, I've got to stop spending, stop spending, stop spending, stop spending, stop spending, stop spending, because then again, you're positive people, right? You're going to eliminate the word stop. You're going to keep the word spending. I know. And some of you love that Amazon link. It's so easy, you know? Now they have those, 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 those sensors that you just put the credit card on. You don't even feel it, you know? Have you noticed the difference between doing the beep and, and handing somebody a $20 bill? It, it hurts way more when you give them cash, right? Have you, have you ever had the experience of like you have cash in your pocket and you have a card in your pocket and you say, I'm going to use the card and keep the cash. Have you ever had that? Yeah. That's because emotionally it hurts to spend money. But a little beep feels like, oh, great. Right? <laughs> Instead of thinking that way, you know, let me, let me encourage you to tell your money what to do. Put it to work. If you don't have a budget, you need a budget. I, you need a budget. And, 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 and then there's a simple, a simple thing, a practice that you can have. Three items, three, three ways or three practices for your finances. First, generosity. First thing you do, honor God with your finances. Second, savings. Try to work up to 10% of savings every single time you get paid. And then the third, do your best, do all you can to live with 80%. I mean, I want to be bold here. I'm going to tell you. Cut every expense you can in 2024 to get your living, especially if you feel like you're living from paycheck to paycheck, to cut every expense you can to get, get your living expenses under 80%. And you're going to see you're going to sleep soundly at night. You're going to see that your, your wealth is growing. There's going to be no financial pressure as you continue to build and, and move forward financially. And thirdly, a vision of strength for our relationships. That's important as well. Maybe we're talking about family relationships, romantic relationships, marriage, children, parents. Let me ask you, what do you see when it comes to your relationships for 2024? What's the picture that God is giving you? See, sometimes we have goals like, I need to fight less. I need to call him an idiot less. I need to fight less with my children. I need to watch my mouth a little bit. And instead of thinking that way, even though you, you might need to do that, <laughs> you might need to do that. Let me ask you, what do you see? What's the vision that God's giving you? Do you see a blessed marriage? Do you see a great relationship between you and your siblings? Peaceful, uh, a peaceful home, intimacy, harmony, empathy with your friends, your, your, the relationships that matter to you. Do you see real relationships that are meaningful and thriving? Then set goals that reflect that. Goals that are built on strength. 
You know, say things like, I will have scheduled time with this person so we can catch up and talk. I will verbalize my appreciation to my spouse daily. I will sit down and ask meaningful questions to my kids about their lives so I can learn what's going on with them. I'm going to build that relationship. I will pray for my family daily. I will encourage my family's faith by sharing with them what God's been speaking to me. If you read a passage of scripture and God speaks to you, share with your family. Share with your friends. Tell them, hey, you know what God's been speaking to me? It might seem awkward at first, but once you begin to build that bridge, you're connecting in the most intimate part of you. And then I encourage you, especially for these goals of relationship, write them down because here's what happens. We go back into autopilot too often. Life gets busy. You're going to get back to your calendar. But if you can write it down and put it it at a place so you can remember to practice those things, you'll begin to see those relationships begin to change because it is the consistency that will make a difference. And and I, I, I encourage you to build consistency towards strength and courage in your life. Friends, I believe that this is the kind of spirit that God wants us to, wants us to have. A spirit that we should embrace and ask from the Lord. A spirit that says, let's go. Let's conquer. Let's conquer these areas of our life. Let's conquer. If God before us, who would there be against us? A spirit that says, enough of mediocrity. We're going to have a great marriage. Why have a mediocre marriage when you can have a great one? Let's conquer the giants. Let's do what it takes and have a great marriage. Let's move forward and conquer and then raise a family that honors God, even though it's not popular in the world. Let's reach our neighborhoods as a church. You know, for decades it's been said that the Northeast is where churches go to die. Let's change that history. Let's, as a church, see the move of God. Let's be filled with God's presence in this house. Let's seek the Lord in a time where He may be found. Let's fill the, this auditorium with lost people, broken people, depressed people, people who are battling sickness. Let's build an environment where the hopeless can find hope. Let's build an environment where the proud can be humbled in love before it's too late. Let's see God show His presence freely in this place. Let's be the kind of people that thirst and hunger for the presence of God, that thirst and hunger for righteousness, for mercy, a spirit that burns within us, that never tires like Caleb that says, I'm still strong. I'm still ready. I'm still vigorous. I still believe. I'm still full of faith. And we can still move forward with confidence and take new ground. Because if God before us, who would dare be against us? Are you ready to start the new year with the spirit of strength and courage? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.